1: everybody welcome to big blend radios first thursday travel to tulare series with the sequoia tourism council so the sequoias uh now this is all in central california all part of tulare county uh, this region is home to sequoia and kings canyon national parks the giant sequoia national monument and sequoia national forest so definitely one of those bucket list destinations And when you go up to the forests and the parks, there's also all kinds of historic and agricultural and art destinations to visit as well. These amazing communities that make up the region. So uh, your one-stop place to go is discoverthesequoias.com. And today we are gonna talk about spring in the region, especially when it comes to the parks and forests. As many of you have probably seen in the news, California has had all kinds of record snow and rainfall, and this all comes after a really uh, big wildfire season of last year. So there are still things to experience, a lot of nature to experience, But we're going to be talking with two of our friends uh, from the parks and forests to tell us what we can do, uh, what to be wary of if we're traveling up there in case snow happens or any more weird weather happens. But the good thing is California has had rain and snow and the West has had a lot of rain and snow. So that is really good for nature and for the land. And that means for everybody. So joining us on the show today, we have Cynthia uh, C. Kawasaki Yi joining us again. She is from Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. How are you?
0: Good morning. Hi. Nice it's to be good, here.
1: Good to have you back. And we've also got Denise Alonzo from Sequoia National Forest and Giant Sequoia National Monument. Welcome back, Denise. Thank you. Good
2: morning to you.
1: It's good to have you both back on the show. Um, I know it's been a little wacky. Uh, Denise, you even had snow at your office today, right? We did this morning. It was beautiful. Oh, ah, nice. Did you have snow too up in the parks?
0: We have snow up in the parks, and I, there was a little bit of snow even down in Visalia, or one of our gateway communities. So snow oh, wow. throughout the region.
1: Wow, wow! So it's it's been a little bit. I don't remember you guys getting this much snow over the last five years. Maybe it's been a while.
0: It's been a while. We definitely had um, you know some big you know storms during the winter. It just seems to be going on a little bit longer than what I'm used to from from the last several years.
1: Yeah. Denise, I mean, when do you think was the last time you had big snow like this?
0: Wow. It's
2: probably been 15 years since I can remember such a a deep snow pack up at the 7,000, 8,000 foot elevation range. I mean, it's been a long time since we've had that nice snow pack that will feed us with spring runoff all into the summer, which I'm looking forward to. So that means it's going to be really good for whitewater rafting? This year? Should, it should be most definitely uh-huh. good for whitewater rafting as well as uh, anybody wanting to cool off in the lakes, they should be full well into the late summer into the fall, all the local lakes, uh, Lake Kaweah and Lake Success should both have lots of recreational opportunities for people visiting the area in addition to the forest and the parks.
1: Oh, that is awesome! And also, let's talk about the uh, nature part of this. Having this much snowfall and rain, um, as Cynthia, I know when you think about what's happened, you know, with the fires in in the region, I know it's caused some destruction and some road damage. So we can get into that. But how has this helped? Does this help the sequoias and and the park itself or the natural terrain?
0: Definitely. I mean, we all need the snow and the snowpack. Uh. It does cause a little bit of concern, you know, once we go into spring months and we see what kind of snowmelt we are getting and and how our um, terrain does with all of that. But we're staying hopeful. We're going to keep our fingers crossed that there's not much more damage and mm-hmm. hopefully hoping for a good spring.
1: Yeah. And you get uh, wildflowers up there in the parks?
0: We do. Yeah. From March through May, you know, the really, especially down in the foothills, it starts, you know, we have such a large elevation range from our Mm -hmm. foothills area up to our lodgepole giant forest area so I think earlier in the spring you'll see start seeing wildflowers in the foothills area and then as we go into summer um into the summer months you you can start seeing some of those up at higher elevations up in giant forest or or grant groves
1: Mm, and then even some of the alpine wilderness areas right you'll start getting some of those flowers like lupin and oh man it's beautiful.
0: Yep, <laughs> lupin in the midsummer months. That yes, it's beautiful.
1: Awesome. And then Denise, um, th- let's talk a little bit about the lay of the land uh, between the national parks and Sequoia National Forest, and then the Giant Sequoia National Monument. Um, so the monument and the forests are all under United States uh, National Forest Service, right? Uh, but they're kind of, everything's kind of interconnected uh, within all of the parks. If you go into the parks like Kings Canyon, you can go to Hume Lake, which is forest. So uh, for some of us going in for the first time, we're not going to really know the difference all the time. But there are some differences of what you can experience. But when, you know, Cynthia was talking about the different uh, flowers and the foothills. That kind of happens in the
2: forest, too, because you have those multitude of elevations, right? Most definitely we we really complement each other as far as the availability of recreational opportunities, because there's some things that you can do in the forest where you can't necessarily do in the park, such as walk your dog on a trail so if you're traveling and you're bringing a dog with you we could recommend that you go to a campground or the recreational sites within the uh, national forest where you can have your dogs on trails but you can leave your dog in the vehicle in the parking lot and go visit the general sherman tree in the park next door as well we're really intertwined especially on the huma lake ranger district to our north we're intertwined with the park you'll drive in and out of the forest as you go into the park at the Big Stump entrance station, and there's very little difference as far as recreational opportunities, seeing giant sequoias, you can do that in both locations. Uh, they, the park happens to have the largest tree, the General Sherman tree, and the second largest, the General Grant tree, but we have the sixth largest, the Bull tree in the National Forest. And we also have other large giant sequoias at places like Trail of 100 Giants that are equally impressive. So we, we really tend to complement each other on available recreational opportunities for all the different things that people might want to do.
1: That's excellent. I know. Uh, having done both, uh, it's it's just I don't think you can ever get to all of it, you know, because you have so much <laughs> wilderness out there, too. So there's a wilderness um, for people looking for summer is don't they have to get permits from both? The parks and the forest, uh, Cynthia, do you want to tell us a little bit about that process? And it's not overnight, right? You don't just go apply for a permit and get it the next day, or is it?
0: Uh, reservations can be made on, resur- on rec.gov, and so wilderness permits are during a quota season, which is our busier period over the summer, so around um, from May to about, I would say, September, I believe, is kind of our high visitation month where we require uh, wilderness uh, permits. And this is only for overnight visits. So you can still go, you know, to Giant Forest, go into the backcountry, do a day a day trip out to Pear Lake or one of these, you know, popular areas that are really hard to get overnight permits for and experience that, you know, in a round-trip, day-hike way. But for any overnight wilderness uh, trips, that does require a wilderness permit in the summer.
2: Okay, what do we need permits for with the forest, Denise? You would need a wilderness permit for our golden trout wilderness, which is, um, we share that portion with the Park Service as well and the Sequoia on the Mm -hmm. south side. But we do not have a reservation system for our permits. We don't get quite as much use as the park does from their trailheads. So we don't have any sort of a quota. So for those who are doing last minute planning, we can give you a wilderness permit the morning of the day you start on your trip. So if you want to come into our office, uh, we would be happy to give you a wilderness permit to head out of our trailhead that afternoon. You would just need to make sure you coincide with the park service trails and any quotas that are in effect if you were to cross the boundary onto the park, national parks, because then those quotas would go into effect. So we'll inform our visitors who are interested in traveling from our wilderness and the national forest into the national park from our trailheads, we would be happy to educate them on what the, requir- the specific requirements are for those traveling from the forest into the park or vice versa. Mm. Excellent. It's good to know. So, recreation.gov, that's the
1: website for permits and for camping, right?
0: For camping permits, just you can buy your park and ent- you can pay ahead for your entry pass, oh, that's which fun. is a really great way to save time as you're heading mm-hmm. into the parks. So if you that way, you just have your pass ready to go. You don't have to process a credit card or process payment at the entrance station.
1: Well, actually, the best thing is to get your annual pass. That's what I think. Then it's like you can go to all the parks. Um, yeah. I know. And don't you get passes that include the forest and the park together? Is, it, is that, is, is, am,
2: am I right? There's like one that does both but doesn't the, include permits. The America, the Beautiful Pass, there are some national forests that do charge an entry fee. Uh, on the Giants Sequoia National Monument, we don't, except for that portion on the Hume Lake District, which is adjacent to the park. That portion does it is included in the entrance fee at the Big Stump Entrance Station. So uh, they complement each other at that location. And, and so the southern portion above Porterville doesn't have an entry fee. But if you were to get the America the Beautiful Pass for the annual pass, you could take advantage of places like Mount St. Helens, which is a Forest Service National Monument where they do charge an entrance fee, an individual entrance fee. It does cover that as well. Cool.
1: And the America the Beautiful, is that only for seniors or is that for everyone, Sadia?
0: That's for everyone.
1: I think we have one. I believe we do, because I I know that we have wherever we go, we have a pass (laughs) because it's the most important. And, you know, I think it's something, you know, people think about Mother's Day and Earth Day is coming up. I think people should be giving, you know, Earth Day in April. This is the coolest pass. National Parks Week is coming up, isn't it? Um, That is what I was looking April 22nd through 30th. So that's a that's a cool thing to celebrate with getting get the all, all American pass.
0: Definitely, and we do have a fee-free day to kick off National Park Week, and then we have National Junior Ranger Day to kind oh, of right. end National Park Week on April 29th, so a lot of good things happening that week.
1: Tell everyone about the Junior Ranger Program. I think it's probably one of the most important things because it's not even the just the kids that get involved, um, but it's also the adults get involved too. I like, I, I want my booklet.
0: Oh, definitely. Anyone can come to a visitor center in the parks. They get you get an activity book that you take with you as you explore the parks. And there's some activities and things you fill out as you are, you know, seeing things. And, you know, um, so it's a really great little project to do while you explore. And then once you complete your book, you go back to a visitor center and you get sworn in as a national park junior ranger by a park ranger at that visitor center. It's a really special, special experience. I, I was there when a couple of kids were getting sworn in, and it just they, the kids just light up. They get this cool little badge that they get to wear with the, you know, Sequoia Kings Canyon. Uh, you know, every park has their own little badge, and it's just it's a really great way to make a park visit even more exciting for kids. And our, for our anyone little, who's doing the activity. Oh, come
1: on. I know I, there's um, our little sock monkey, Priscilla, our pink sock monkey. She's got she's she got sworn in as a junior ranger and her junior ranger experience actually started in Sequoia National Park back oh. in 2012. And she's got badges from parks and state parks, too. Uh, she's got park, she's got badges. Uh, she, you know, but she kind of looks like a biker chick now, but, but <laughs> these badges. But uh, she did get sworn in. We we have a video of her at Coronado National Monument in yeah. in Arizona. It's hysterical. I put it on TikTok, and anyway, that's apparently what we do with her. But Denise, <laughs> you got to meet Priscilla. I did. Sock monkey. Yes. Yep. I, we have I photos of you with that. her. Yeah, <laughs> she taught she taught Priscilla the difference between uh, the sequoia tree cone and the sugar pine cone. So, oh, you got let's do some fun facts on sequoias, okay? Because listen, we don't all know these fun facts, but so the sequoia is the largest tree in the world, right, by volume, not yeah. by height, by volume. Okay, by volume. Okay, so the General Sherman tree. Okay, so you've got the the Sherman tree the General Grant tree. So what's the difference between those two?
0: The, the difference, they're both, you know, one is in Sequoia National Park. Uh, the General Sherman tree is a l- number one largest tree in the world by volume. The General Grant tree is the second largest tree in the world. And the General Grant tree is actually also the nation's Christmas tree. Not everyone knows that. Ah,
1: see? And so, and that is accessible right now, right? General Grant is, with what's happening weather-wise and roads opening, closing kind of thing, that's the best place for people to go? Or, or, You know,
0: usually it's open year-round at this point because the storms are so severe, the road to the General Grant tree is actually closed right now.
1: Okay. But it
0: it will open before access to giant forests open, so it's, it's a safer bet.
1: Okay, so everyone, nps.gov forward slash S-E-K-I uh, is the website to go to to watch for alerts because things will change. And and that's the thing, spring is gorgeous and beautiful. Um, the last time we were there was during spring. And I remember all the red buds in bloom as we we're going up through hospital rock and the flowers and... It was absolutely gorgeous, Um, but you never know all of a sudden they could just go hey we're going to give you some more snow just if you want a little dusting to remind you mother nature's in control. Um, So that could happen so it's always good to go to the websites but uh, Denise okay any fun facts on Sequoia trees for us.
2: you tell us about I, the cones. I, I can't think of any, well, the cones we were talking about earlier, yeah. the the size of the giant sequoia cone is, I don't know, just a pro, maybe about that size. It f- fits it, in the palm of your hand. It, it does. You actually had and a couple, it yeah. The sugar pine cone, which is probably seven inches long. I mean, it, it's, I, I wish I had them in my hands to, comp- to show you, to compare, but um, you would be amazed at how tiny the giant sequoia cones are to produce such a large tree. Mm.
1: And don't they need like some kind of scratching to actually get them to open and start
2: pr- producing and and actually become little babies? Some sort of a disturbance is actually advantageous to giant sequoias. the The cones themselves, uh, you know, once they dry out, they kind of need something to disturb them to knock the seeds out of the cones in order for them to get into the soil in order to germinate. And a lot of times that's been some sort of a fire presence, uh, preferably a low intensity. Yeah, not not
1: the crazy wildfires. No, we don't have Correct,
2: Yes. Um, But even animals can disturb a giant sequoia cone, you know, carrying it or kicking it or moving it around. Birds or squirrels or chipmunks um, could be enough disturbance to knock the seeds out of those cones on the ground and then allow the seed to get into the soil and then germinate. And then of course, all you need is sunlight and lots of moisture in order for those giant sequoia seedlings to grow up into those 1500 year old trees that we see in your photo behind you. It's crazy though, like these little babies and you know, because you would,
1: your first thing is you see these giants and I love watching people go to the parks and the forest for their first time and do the literal jaw drop at the giants, you know, and then everybody's trying to hug it and it's not gonna work. And you gotta have a big family, man. You gotta bring your your whole family, your extended family, your friends to hug a tree. What what is the it? well it's hard to say what the average is of of how many people can hug a tree because it depends on the stage of growth, isn't it? It's kind of I've hard. had 35 students
2: um trying to join hands around one of the larger giant sequoias, a trail of hundred giants, and they didn't make
0: it. Wow, 35 kids,
2: 35 students, they were that's second impressive. graders. So they were big. But they all tried to join hands around one of our larger giant sequoia trees. And they had to include the teachers in order to actually get that to join hands. So it, it was a quite impressive to watch. Oh, wow. That's
0: amazing. And Lisa, not a lot of people get out to Big Stump Grove. But that's a really great area where you can see not everyone knows that there was logging in the late 1800s of giant sequoias but you can see still the huge stumps and there's actually a ladder where you can go and stand on the mark twain uh stump the mark twain mark twain tree stump um but it just gives you an idea once you're standing on the top of this huge stump just how enormous they were and how hard it must have been to log such giant trees, especially with the tools that they had available at that time.
1: Yeah. And then try and get them up, you know, around the country and, you know, ship them out. And yeah, that's, and that's pretty a famous story too about, you know, the logging of them and and getting that balance. And uh, it's interesting, you know, now, now you've got cabins and things out there too, don't you? In some of those areas where people can stay and, um, you know, there's, there's, camping too that's the best because you can camp with chipmunks coming up and stealing your food <laughs> so don't feed them though don't, oh don't be wildlife don't I prefer chipmunks over bears <laughs> yeah I was gonna get to when do the bears typically come out because I kind of feel like they're the groundhogs well the marmots are you guys have marmots um yes. for groundhogs so, so did they come out and say hey spring's coming early enough of the snow for you guys <laughs> like what happens <laughs>
0: I mean, with this much snow, I'm curious to see how long will it take them a little bit longer this spring to come on out. I mean, I would want to keep hibernating if it was, this, you know, this much snowpack.
1: Yeah. yeah, I I think so too. But they're not 100 percent asleep, right? They can, if it's a warm day, they might kind of wander out and say, "Hey, I need some sunshine," and go back, then go back in and take another long nap.
0: Yeah, and some of these bears also travel down into our local communities when it starts to get cooler. (laughs) They come on down to Three Rivers or, you know, try to forage for food elsewhere outside of the parks.
1: Yeah, but we want to keep, like, so when you go to the park, you can take food out of your car, you know. And it's it's funny because right now we're recording this. We're in Asheville, North Carolina, and they have bears pretty much walking the neighborhoods.
0: And so I was saying
1: saying to the people, I'm like, do I need to take like the food I have in the car out of the car? They're like, no, they won't go to the cars. And I'm like, nah, I don't trust this. Not for what everyone in Sequoia has taught me. Just take it out. Take it out. Uh, Anything you have, just take it out. And, you know, so it's all upstairs here with us now, but because I just couldn't, I was like,
0: nah. (laughs) We have very real examples of cars just being tore open like a tuna can Mm -hmm. for Just scraps of food that are inside. So we definitely good safe. We have bear boxes throughout the parks. We, you know, if you have anything in your car, bring it out. Even if it's not food, even if it's sunscreen or scented items, they don't really know the difference between, you know, a sandwich or or lotion that's scented. So everything needs to just really be contained as much as possible when you're visiting the park
1: if you have a honey and peanut butter sandwich you better lock that up any kind of
2: honey you better put that in that bear box uh denise do you guys have bear boxes too for people we do and they are required um in those areas adjacent to the park on the hume lake ranger district the use of bear boxes is required because of the high likelihood that you will encounter a bear in that area Mm -hmm. Okay, so
1: let's talk about that because I like that you were talking about uh, Cynthia, how they can rip open like a tuna can kind of thing. Uh, so Denise, what do we do if we encounter a bear? Um, I'm gonna say, here's a multiple choice. A, do you try and take a selfie? B, do you try to take your baby and go here, it's next to a big bear? <laughs> C,
2: do you run? <laughs> what what do you do? Our D, none of the above. <laughs> okay, I knew it, I knew it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, basically don't try to stand your ground. If you see a bear with a cub, a mama bear with a cub, make sure that you're not getting too close to the cub or in between them, because that's the most dangerous situation. Most bears will shy away from people. Uh, they don't want to encounter people and, and they'll they'll run away from you if they see you. Uh, if you do get between a mama and her cubs, uh, that's where you might have the mama charge towards you or, you know, act aggressively towards you. So walk, don't turn your back, walk away backwards, keep your eyes on the bear so that you're prepared. If you, you know, were able to get someplace higher in, in you know, so that you could act big so that they're less likely to think that you could be attacked. Um, it's same with mountain lions, play big, you know, put your hands up and and pretend like you're bigger than you are. Or if you're with several people, get together, you know, so that you look, appear to be more threatening than you are just as a person, a uh, one single person, but they are human bear encounters are not common. Uh, most of the time, bears will scare away from you.
1: Is it the same with snakes? And in, in spring, they do come out. Um, You know, and and so that's also just kind of walk where you're, watch where you're stepping, be, you know, be watchful and, and, you know, don't, don't mess with the snake either. (laughs) Let them be. They're important parts of of the ecosystem. So it's kind of the same thing. Just don't get too close, you know, let them, let them be. This snakes always kind of go away. I've had rattlesnakes Mm -hmm. go over my feet and I just stood there and they just went right over like, oh, hello, have a nice day. (laughs) <laughs> you know, when that happens, when they just, you know, go just be calm. And that's the other thing, not freak out, right? Because that could, right. And it's I... a good
0: reminder we're go visiting, you know, their homes, their mm-hmm. ecosystems. This is where they were the visitors in their world. um We sometimes get complaints of, like, you know, you really should keep the bears off of these like busy paths of, you know, where people, no. Go <laughs> to your room. Or... <laughs> Oh my gosh.
2: That give the bears the right of way.
0: Oh right of way. Give them space. You know, this is, mm-hmm. they're just trying to get through get from one point to you know, they're trying to reach their destination. They're not there to disturb the people. They're not they really just are in their own little bubbles. They just wanna keep going with, with their day.
1: That I, I think you bring such a good point up. I, I was you know, obviously I'm like part of all these I always read what's going on with parks and And it was some swampy area because we always end up playing with gators and not, we don't get, no, we don't, we do not touch the gator. We do not do the selfie, stupid thing. Uh, We don't do any of that. But we love to go check them out because they're just such cool, like ancient beings, you know. And I was reading about some small park, I think it was in South Carolina or something. And this lady went up on like a Google, people Google reviewing parks, which I think is like weird because like parks are they're all special like you can't like anyway she went and put up on there there's alligators here they really should move them away for for us humans going to the park and yet she's like they have signs up and and her photos have signs saying this path is known for gators and snakes like so beware or don't go especially if you have little kids kind of thing and she's like well they need to move them this is and i i'm reading this going what This is, we are in their spot and I think you really, that's a good point, you know, so, and that's the beauty of it. Um, Birds too, you guys have so many birds to experience. So spring, is that a good time when birds are start flying around in the area because of the migrations? Do you get the migrations of birds? I don't know.
0: I'm not very familiar with migration patterns, but we always have, you know, you you always hear the sounds of the birds picking away at the tree in the background um, or just you know it's we have a really a lot of wildlife and it's really special especially I really recommend people going out really early in the morning before it gets crowded because you get the benefits of seeing more wildlife you get to see more bears you get to see more birds just out and about and it's also quieter and so you get to experience a different you just get a different type of experience especially even in the most popular areas crescent meadow is a really great area in giant forest that i recommend early i love that's
1: my favorite place
0: or in the evenings when it starts to quiet down people are going back to their campgrounds going back to their lodging if you can make it out for sunset or sunrise in most areas of the park it's just a special special experience that i really, really really recommend
1: I agree, too. Denise, any information on birds that people can see? It's a lot of woodpeckers and, and blue jays. I mean, they're all going whack, 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 and it's the monkeys of
2: the forest. <laughs> there, there are certainly a lot. And you can also see bald eagles and golden eagles in our area. And they oh, tend wow. to like to fish out of the local lakes. So I've even seen them driving up through the foothills on my way to Springville to work in the mornings. And on my way home in the afternoon, when the grass is so green and there's plenty of things for them to feast on and hunt for, uh, fish in the lake. They like to uh, hang around the local lakes in order to capture the fish. And I've seen a lot of bald eagles and golden eagles recently. That That's just another one of our large birds that are lovely to see this time of the year.
1: It's magic. And that's the thing. Spring is so exciting.
2: It's like one of my favorite,
1: you know, because like flowers are starting to say, "Hey, I'm here. Let's party." Like Robin Williams said, "Spring's like, hey, let's party." That's that's when nature wakes up and said so "Let's have a good time," you know. And so, like like you're saying, bears will start coming out, and it's a it's an exciting time to be. And waterfalls. That I, I remember hiking Tokopaw Falls. Am I getting that right? Uh, Mm -hmm. and and seeing the waterfall but it was kind of a drier year but to me it was still magic right and it's a beautiful hike with marmots lots of marmots and it got really warm that's the thing like the temperatures wear layers in spring for sure because like we were saying you never know but um that was in March end of late March I remember that happening so maybe a bit later this year do you think for in Sequoia and Kings Canyon?
0: probably a little bit later with you know the snow is still very much still snow it's not melting yet uh depends on how much what comes next in the forecast uh but you know given the high elevations of the parks i would say we get an extended spring uh because you know you can start seeing wildflowers earlier in the foothills but then if you go up to higher elevations to places like mineral king or grant grove lodge you know giant forest Because of the high elevations, it takes longer for the snow to start melting and for things to start, you know, clearing off. And so you get kind of that spring experience even early into the early summer months. And so we get a lot of that. But waterfalls, oh, I'm excited this year. Everything, you know, Cedar Grove, we have Tobago Falls, we have Marble Falls, we have so many waterfalls to see. And with a snowmelt this year, once those temperatures start rising, the snow starts melting and it starts creating really fantastic waterfall experiences. De-
1: Denise, what about
2: waterfalls? You guys have those in the in the forest too, right? We do. Grizzly Falls down in the Kings Canyon is a beautiful spot to see the waterfalls, um, as well as, you know, just the rivers are all going to be so nice and full this year. And something that people do need to be concerned about is any water crossing that you plan to go on on your hikes. Uh, For example, the Nelson Trail, you remember Belknap Creek when we crossed that little bridge across Belknap Creek? Um, So the Belknap Creek will probably be running pretty high this year as well as the the water, the rivers and stuff. The little kern is going to be running pretty high in the Golden Trout Wilderness this year. So a lot of those backcountry trails don't have any means to cross except for on foot through the water. People yeah. are going to be want, wanting to be especially careful this year for any water crossings. You'll want to find the closest bridge uh, so that you can get across these rivers safely when you travel. And listen, they're cold.
1: Those rivers are definitely,
0: cold. yeah, they are
1: really, really, really cold. So, um,
0: I, really yeah, great to- point, Denise. Uh, for years where we have this heavy snowpack. It takes longer for our trail crews to get out into the wilderness and really inspect and check the conditions of those trails and so for people planning those earlier um spring early summer wilderness trips really important to check in with their wilderness office checking our websites as we start to as our crews get out into the wilderness they start reporting back on conditions and we make those updates on our website and so really checking what trips are viable Different Mm -hmm. times of year, Uh, you know, so just really important this year, I think, especially with post-fire conditions, huge snowpack, you know, potential flooding in areas. I'm guessing we're going to have some damage along those wilderness trails, and whether or not we can get out and fixing to fix those in time for people getting out into the wilderness. Yeah, and you also pointed out, Denise, the higher rivers spring especially in the foothills, as temperatures begin to rise, we get into the 100-degree summer days, Those our rivers are extremely dangerous. And we we really caution people, especially as, you know, earlier in the year, earlier in the summer, stay away from the river. Don't go into the river. Even if it's a really hot day outside, those rivers are frigid cold. It's no yeah, I... melt water.
1: We don't want to have that press release come over. I get those press releases from you guys. I don't like those. Somebody went floating down, and that was that. You know, and it's cold, and I mean that it is. You, you they look so beautiful, and it's yeah. They, they, they. It's like a little vortex. It's not. It's not a good idea. Yeah,
0: and a lot of times it's just unintentional. Those rocks get mm-hmm. really slippery near the river's edge. Great yeah. view, but a view you should enjoy from further away. Don't stand along the edge because anything can happen. You can slip in and those currents, especially underneath, a lot stronger than they look above the Mm -hmm. water. So really caution people to be careful. This year is going to be a rough year for water currents in the park. Yeah, It's
1: going to be really beautiful, but be really careful. That's really the thing. It's like go, but expect some delays in places. Um, Like you are saying, I mean, it's not like, you know, the... I mean you guys are still battling with the fire damage and this is part of what's happening, you know, with the with the winter weather on top of that. So it's not like, hey, click your fingers and everything's magically, you know, fixed for everybody. It doesn't work that way, <laughs> you know. Um so uh, yeah, people have some patience when you travel and, and that's in general. I mean, it's not just in sequoias. I mean, it's around the country and around the world people experiencing weather, coming out of covid, uh you know, staff shortages, Really, as travelers and uh, adventurers, we need to understand that things do go wrong. And if they didn't go wrong, you wouldn't have those stories to tell your, your grandkids. You never know what happened. You know,
2: <laughs> I you mean, can plan ahead. True. Plan mm-hmm. ahead before your trip. Bring tire chains. Bring a sleeping bag or a blanket um, and some food and water in your vehicle. Whenever you go up into the mountains, because remember, cell phones don't work once you you know get yes. up into the mountains. So you can't just call and you know ask for somebody to come pick you up because you're you know stranded. Your vehicle wouldn't start on this you know distant at the end of the road in a, in a really remote area you'll have no means to reach out to somebody to come pick, come get you but um, having yeah. no cell phone for a few days i'm sorry i'm with you we need
1: to <laughs> drop the screen time and go out in nature and get a real connection you may not have a cell phone connection or internet but you'll get a true connection to nature and so Most and funny. let people know where you're going that's the other thing right is yeah. let people know what you plan and maybe not divert from that you know we always think oh well this trail looks a little bit let me go there instead that's probably not a good idea stick to your trail ideas right and yep. as yeah and what about solo hiking? That's probably not a good idea these days right now.
2: It's it's not the best, safest idea. A lot of people do choose to solo hike. Uh, if you do, a lot of people are carrying those uh, spot devices that you can hit the GPS and you can reach out just in case of emergency. Oh, okay, you that's have, a good have, tip. Yeah, some of the GPS devices that they sell nowadays actually have the capability to hit satellite and uh, those can be used for somebody perhaps wanting to travel by themselves. Um, I wouldn't recommend people traveling by themselves, but if that's your choice, then I would recommend you get some sort of a spot device in case of emergency.
1: Excellent. Excellent advice. Well, ladies, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Again, I wanna give out uh, the websites. For Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks, it's nps.gov forward slash S-E-K-I. For Sequoia National Forest, Denise, it's fs.usda.gov forward slash Sequoia. That's right? That's correct. But actually the best thing, just go to discoverthesequoias.com. That's for the Sequoia Tourism Council. The links to the parks, the forest, and all the communities are in there um so one thing before you ladies go oh and i want to say we did uh uh, national park week april 22nd through april 30th uh planned for national forest week which is july 10th through 16th this year but before you go if you one spring day okay you're going to take a little day trip around maybe go to the forest the park But to a community, like, let's bring in some of the communities that people can understand that you've got to go to the towns, too, because the towns are all part of it, especially if you get there and suddenly the road is closed, you might want to go do a detour. So what is a a perfect spring day to you when you have no work? (laughs) You get a whole day off. All right, so let's start with you, Cynthia.
0: A perfect spring day. I really, I mean, I live in Visalia, so I really enjoy getting out to downtown Visalia to all the shops, really great restaurants, breweries, just so much to do in Visalia um, and just a short 45 minute drive to the entrance to Sequoia National Park. So I would say either I stay in Visalia or I go up to Three Rivers. It's a really great gateway community. Um, Most of the time, We're pretty consistently open, at least in the foothills of Sequoia National Park. And so going and staying in Three Rivers, going to the little shops, great food, Sierra Subs, I recommend. Great. A couple new coffee shops that have just opened, going through there and then getting into the foothills to either, you know, we have a couple really great trails, Marble Falls Trail, Middle Fork Trail, just getting to see those early spring waterfalls.
1: And speaking of that, um, our friend Christy Wood has uh, the wooden horse stables out there. She took his horse riding in the spring one time in the foothills, like, you know, not right in the park, but. If you catch that early too, it's it's pretty magical. So I hope that works out for her this year too, for people traveling in spring because getting on horseback's a whole other view. It really is. Yeah. So that that's an exciting thing. And I love what you're saying about Visalia too. It's it's vibrant and uh Kauia Oaks Preserve is right there too. That if you want to take a nice little easy walk, um lot nice meadows and I learned all about wild grapes the last time we were
2: hiking through there. So that was cool. So Denise, for you, what's your perfect spring day? Well, my perfect spring day is spent in my boat fishing on Lake Success or Lake oh. Uh And that's if the weather cooperates. But it ha- if it happens to be raining or snowing and I want to go someplace warmer, I live in Tulare. So I would choose the Tulare outlets and I would spend my day shopping at the outlets. Oh, and then you can go catch a movie at the Galaxy Theater. I most certainly could. One of the best reclining galaxy seats that I've ever seen in the valley. I know. It's awesome in
1: there. So thank you both again for joining us. And everyone, we're here every first Thursday talking about Tulare County and California's beautiful Sequoia country. So keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com and DiscoverTheSequoias.com. Thank you so much and happy spring in a few, few weeks.